this is Exodus 7, starting in 14. The plague of blood. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is unyielding. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes out to the water. Wait on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that was changed into a snake. Then say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the desert. But until now you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile and it will be changed into blood. The fish in the Nile will die and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink its water. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, take your staff, stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the wooden buckets and stone jars. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile, and all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died, and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same things by their secret arts, and Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Exodus chapter 8, 1 through 15, the plague of frogs. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. And the Nile will swarm with frogs, which will come up and go into your house and into your bedroom and onto your bed, and into the houses of your servants and on your people, and into your ovens and into your kneading bowls. So the frogs will come up on you and your people and all your servants. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the streams and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he remove the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go, that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, The honor is yours to tell me. When shall I entreat for you and your servants and your people that the frogs be destroyed from you and your houses, that they may be left only in the Nile? Then he said, Tomorrow. So he said, May it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frogs will depart from you and your houses and your servants and your people. They will be left only in the Nile. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had inflicted upon Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, the courts, and the fields. So they piled them in heaps, and the land became foul. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. The Plague of Insects, Exodus 8, 16 through 19. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Moses, 
Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats through all the land of Egypt. And they did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. And the magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Thank you, Radloffs. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. Father God, thank you for the blessings and the opportunities you give us, Lord, to worship you. Thank you for the, the music team this morning, preparing our hearts for your word. Thank you for the, the Radloffs reading the word. Um, and Lord, thank you for bringing us here to hear. Lord, I pray that we would honor you with all that would happen this morning. In Jesus' name. So here we are, chapter 7 of Exodus, the drama, the tension of this book has been building. Uh, if you think back to Exodus chapter 5, the first couple of verses, uh, read like this. Afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I do not know this, Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. And then in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 12, Moses spoke before the Lord, saying, Behold, the sons of Israel will not listen to me. How then will Pharaoh listen to me, as I am an unskilled, and I, am, I am unskilled in speech? And then again in Verse 30, Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am unskilled in speech. How then will Pharaoh listen to me? So a command and two questions frame our passage today. The Lord's command, let my people go. Right? That is consistent throughout. Pharaoh's question, who is Lord that I shall obey him? And Moses' question, how do I get people to listen to me? Also, earlier, Moses and Aaron and God through them performed a miracle, right? Changing the staff into a snake. And yet Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them. This is a key phrase you will hear time and again over the next few weeks as we preach through the plagues. Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen. The drama and the tension will continue to build toward a climax in the 10th plague in the Exodus. But today, we spend time with the first three plagues, or judgments, if you'd rather use that word. There are seven characters involved in these. First is the Lord. He's the creator and master of all things. He's supreme over all things and worthy of worship and glory. There's Moses who's the Lord's chosen representative. Uh, he's the, the communicator for God, and he's the foster brother of Pharaoh. Aaron, 
is a helper to Moses. He's Moses' birth brother and the holder of the staff, which is important. Pharaoh, he's the divine ruler of Egypt, the greatest country in the world at the time. He's a foster brother to Moses, has a mysterious heart condition that causes it to harden often. The Egyptians, the people of Egypt, obviously. And Israel, or the Hebrews, these are God's people. And as you know, they're living in Egypt as slaves at this time. And then the magicians. The magicians are, are, are sorcerers or wise men. Uh, they're advisors to, to Pharaoh. Uh, I don't know that they do any magic, but they know secret arts and they can make things happen. Now, as we travel through these judgments... We want to pay attention to how each of these characters interact, how they are affected, what they learn as we move along. We have something to learn with and from each character and group. So in your, in your bulletin, there's a note page where you can write down how each plague affects them if, if you're so inclined. But before we jump straight into it, I have a couple of questions. God who's all-powerful and mighty and the creator, if he wants his people released from Egypt, why doesn't he just wipe Egypt out? Or send a guy with the, the jawbone of a donkey to slay them all? Or have them just lay down and quit? I mean, he can do that, right? He has the power to accomplish those things. Also, if God knows Pharaoh's heart and that it will just be hardened, and he will not yield, why not just wipe him out? Why just, just get rid of Pharaoh? Why go through the plagues at all? The theme of Exodus, the melodic line, if you will, is to make the Lord known. As we read a, a moment ago, Pharaoh doesn't recognize or know Yahweh, the Lord of the Hebrews. What would he learn about God if the Egyptians were just wiped out. He'd know that the Lord was powerful and his power has power over all creation. He'd know that. But that's not his intention. The way the Lord chooses to remove his people from Egypt teaches the Pharaoh, teaches the Egyptians and the Hebrews and us so much more. The second reason that God chooses to use the plagues to remove his people from Egypt is the Egyptian gods, little g gods. He wants to remove them from the equation. He wants there to be no doubt that he is the Lord. About 10 years ago, there was a movie that came out called The Avengers, and the bad guy in that show is a guy named Loki who is referred to as a god uh, on this other planet in another place, but he's the bad guy, and he is smooth, and he's effective, and he is wiping the planet with the superheroes, the Avengers, and then he meets up with a guy named the Hulk. If you don't know the Hulk, he's this huge green guy, not a whole lot of, not a whole lot of brains, uh, and, and Loki is trying to work his magic on, on the Hulk, and doesn't phase the Hulk, and the Hulk grabs him by the feet, and just wham, wham, wham says puny God and it is the funniest part of that show 
I think that's what God is going to do to these Egyptian gods if they were real. He is just putting them in their place. All right, let's pick up with verse 15. The Lord tells Moses and Aaron to go meet Pharaoh on the bank of the Nile. Take the staff and tell him this. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, saying, let my people go so that they may serve me in the wilderness. But behold, you have not listened up to now. This is what the Lord says. By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, I am going to strike the water that is in the Nile with the staff that is in my hand, and it will be turned into blood. Then the fish that are in the Nile will die, the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will no longer be able to drink water from the Nile. And that is exactly what happened. Noah, not Noah, Moses doesn't record a response from Pharaoh. Moses makes the demand and then puts the plague into action. Followed by Aaron raising his hand and the staff over the other waters of the e Egypt. Streams, rivers, reservoirs, storage containers. It all turned to blood. Not just red water, blood. Now, there are folks out there who will suggest that this was just a natural phenomenon that, that God used to accomplish his will. The river lowers or floods, whatever, and, and there's a reddish hue to the water when that happens. Some kind of bacteria is in there. They even try to explain all the, the plagues as natural, um, resulting from that. However, the, the water didn't turn red. It turned to blood. Fish can live in red water. They live through whatever the reddish hue that happens sometimes. Red water is also drinkable. Blood, however, not so much. And the fish, they didn't live. They died quickly. Also, the level of the Nile has no bearing on other lakes and reservoirs. It has no bearing on the water in jars or, or other containers, storage tanks. So there is no, no backing to what they're thinking. Now, there was significance in the Nile being the first plague. The Nile was key to life and judgment, right? Most of the population was located close to the river, so they all depended on it. They used the Nile for, for drinking water. They used it for cleaning. Uh, there were people who were fishermen, so they, they depended upon it for livelihood and food. It was also important for the economy of Egypt, right? They transported goods up and down the Nile. Um, it, it was a huge thing, not only in Egypt, but worldwide. Right? Egypt was the premier country at that point in time. There were also three Egyptian gods associated with the Nile. And some commentators suggest that Pharaoh was actually going down to the river in the mornings. And part of what he would do down there is worship one of those gods. So to disrupt the Nile was to disrupt the way of life for Egypt. And, and if you're like me, your, concep your conception of the plagues have probably been heavily influenced by the Prince of Egypt movie. Um, I want you to remove those images from your mind because that is not what happened. 
the scene started out as serene and lovely, you know, the beautiful water and the sun coming up, and it was, it was great, right? But it turned funky and gross quickly. Fish can't live in blood, so they died quickly. Imagine you're surrounded by blood when all of a sudden dead fish rise to the surface, just bobbing there, not going anywhere. Soon, the blood begins to rot and stink, and the fish are stinking, and then you get thirsty. <laughs> Nasty. Pharaoh calls his magicians. Using their secret arts, they turn water into blood too. I'm not sure where they got the water. That's a different story. But they can't change the blood back into water, which is really what Pharaoh is seeking. Right? He doesn't want more people to be able to do that. He wants relief. He wants relief from the blood, but they are of no help. And so Pharaoh, he leaves. Verse 22 tells us, his heart was hardened and he would not listen to Moses, just as the Lord spoke. To find drinking water, the people had to dig in the ground around the Nile. Apparently that was, that was good for drinking still. The last verse states that seven days pass after the Lord struck the Nile. That could mean that, that the, the blood lasted for seven days. It could mean that seven days later the next, uh, the next plague occurred. Uh, either way, bad news for the, for the Egyptians. So what happened to our seven characters in this plague? Moses and Aaron, they delivered the message from God. They were instruments used to, to create the miracle. Pharaoh refused to yield to the Lord. He hardened his heart, and he would not listen. The Egyptians. It affected them because their way of life was disrupted. Everyone was affected. Water, which had been a plentiful resource, was scarce and required work to find. Also, they were shown that the Lord of the Hebrews is more powerful than their river god. Israel, the Hebrews, they're not mentioned in this at all, are they? But they are plagued by the loss of water and reminded how powerful their God is. The, the magicians, they have shown that their power, their authority, their tricks are nothing compared to the Lord. They have been able to provide small copies so far, but they've had no effect on the miracles done by Yahweh. They can't reverse a single thing. So why are they even here? Much like most non-believers, or even believers, they rely on their own strength and abilities. Pharaoh called them to disrupt the Lord's plans, thinking that he, he and they had that ability, only to discover that they are unable to affect what the Lord has enacted at all. He finds them to be less than the Lord. And the Lord, what, are the, what is Pharaoh, what are the Egyptians, the Hebrews, and even us? What do we learn about the Lord from this plague? He's consistent, right? He said what would happen, and he made it happen just that way. He's powerful. 
He has power over the water, the great Nile, the Egyptian gods, and time. He knows all of us. He knows his people. He knows Pharaoh, the Egyptians. He knows you and he knows me. He cares enough to know about all of the people, those who pursue him and those who reject him. He still knows. The example in this text is the Nile. And he chose that because of how important it is to the people and the Pharaoh of Egypt. He knows. He's also shown himself to be merciful. Right? He created these bodies. And he knows that if we don't have water to sustain us, we can only last like three days. Right? And then we die. He affected all the rivers and streams and water and storage so that it was undrinkable. It was foul. And yet, in the midst of that judgment, there's a way for people to get water, to drink, to live. Right? He has not wiped out the Egyptians yet. That plague will come later. In the midst of judgment, Yahweh shows mercy. How has the Lord shown mercy to you in the midst of struggles? Can you think of an example? He has provided for us. Even though we deserve judgment, he desires to show us or give us mercy. Our text continues with the second plague. The Lord sends Moses to Pharaoh with the same command. Let my people go. If you refuse, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. Smite's a good word. It doesn't get enough play, but I like it. Frogs, frogs everywhere. This might be funny if it weren't so terrible, right? The frogs will come upon the land. They will come into the houses. They will come into your beds, and they will come into your food. They will come upon everyone, even Pharaoh. And even though it isn't stated, they will come upon the Hebrews. I had questions about whether these plagues would affect the Hebrews. I mean, they're God's people. He's here to rescue them from Egypt. So you would think he would spare them. The thing is, is they are spared on some of the other plagues. It very specifically lays out when they're spared. That leads me to think that, that they are included and they suffer through the judgment and plagues along with the Egyptians. The Lord wants to be known. Right? He is reminding his people. He is showing them that he is Lord of all and that the gods of Egypt are nothing compared to it's not a hill I would die on, but I'm pretty sure that's the correct way to look at it. The magicians show up, right? They come, and they make more frogs. Just what Pharaoh needed, more frogs. But they offer no help in removing the frogs. Again, they have no power and authority to combat what God has done. Why are they even here? So I get why God would use the Nile in the first plague. It makes sense. But you ever wonder why he would use frogs 
for the second plague? If there were that many frogs around your house, inside and out, what would you do? My house? We'd send the kids to catch them, take them outside, throw them away. In case of a plague, maybe we'd relocate them, kill them, sick the cats on them, shoot them with a BB gun. Sorry, I grew up in Texas. <laughs> the Hebrews could do that to control the frogs. They could remove them, and they could kill them or do whatever they needed to do to get rid of the frogs. But the Egyptians were another story. You see, they had a god, a fertility god, uh, who had the head or torso, depending on who you read, of a frog. And so they looked at frogs as being sacred animals. And so they treated them with that kind of respect. They couldn't, they wouldn't harm a frog. Right? So when the frogs are in their house and in their bed and all those things, the most they can do is scoop the frog and move it outside. They wouldn't hurt him, so the frogs wouldn't go away. They didn't want to offend that, that God without any options. And with frogs in his bed, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron to him. Verse 8 of chapter 8. Moses called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord. To remove the frogs from me and from my people. And I will let the people go so that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Pharaoh asks Moses to plead or entreat the Lord. He's asking Moses to pray on his behalf. Now Pharaoh's not becoming a believer, right? He is not believing that that. Yahweh is, is the God of the universe. But he recognizes that Yahweh caused this to happen and that praying to him can be powerful. His heart will be hardened again. We know he's lying about letting the people go, but he does want Moses to pray to bring relief. Isn't that interesting? Divine ruler wants prayer to help him. Moses does something interesting here. I will pray for you and your people to have the frogs destroyed. When would you, Pharaoh, like that to happen? Moses phrases it in such a way that it seems like an honor to the Pharaoh. But really, it's, it's glorifying to the Lord by demonstrating that he is powerful enough to handle this at whatever time he chooses. Pharaoh responds, tomorrow. And Moses says, says may it be according to your word so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God the frogs will depart from you and your houses and from your servants and your people and they will only be in the Nile Moses prayed to the Lord the next day and the frogs died everywhere except the Nile just as he had prayed and even though there was relief the judgment continued right we don't have frogs jumping around and getting all in our food, but now we've got tons and tons, bajillions of dead frogs laying around. Can you imagine? They piled them in heaps. Stinking, rotting amphibian. The question is, is how did they treat the dead frogs? Did they do it with respect befitting the fertility god? Did they have to? 
I don't know. At the end of this passage, like we expected, Pharaoh hardened his heart and he refused to listen to Moses and Aaron and the Lord. He did not let the the, the people go. Again, Pharaoh responded just as the Lord predicted. Now, what happened to our, our characters during this plague? Moses and Aaron obediently delivered the message from God, and they were the instruments used for the miracle. They also glorified Yahweh by praying on behalf of Pharaoh. Pharaoh again refused to yield, again hardened his heart, and again would not listen. It's a pattern. Also, he recognized that praying to the Lord was powerful, and he showed himself to be a liar. He also doesn't like frogs in his bed. The Egyptians, they had frogs everywhere. They were limited in how they dealt with the frogs. Also, they were shown that their frog fertility god is nothing compared to the Lord of the Hebrews. They are coming to know that. Israel and the Hebrews, again, not mentioned. They're plagued by frogs, and they see how Yahweh is glorified over the Egyptian god. If you guys remember, later on when Israel goes to the promised land, God says, remove all of the other people, right? Because we don't want you to be influenced by their gods. We don't want you to be influenced by their way of life and their culture. Same thing. God is removing other influences that could be affecting his people. The Lord what to do what do the pharaoh the egyptians the hebrews and us learn about him from this plague he is miraculous right he caused the frogs to multiply and he from a river that was formerly blood and he caused them to die off at his time at his choosing incredible miracles he is the creator and has power over all the earth including the jumping critters He hears our prayers. He knows our needs and desires. And as believers, we have a direct connection to him. And he wants to hear our prayers. He wants our prayers. Our prayers glorify him. And he wants us to pray to him. Do you spend time regularly in prayer with God? Are you like Pharaoh? And work to accomplish things under your own power. Is prayer a first response for you? Or in, do you just pull it out in case of emergency? Pharaoh doesn't get it. But as followers of Christ, we should pray consistently and often. There's a verse, right, that says to pray without ceasing. That should be our goal. Pharaoh just wanted to pray once. That's a start. Our last judgment today is the plague of the gnats. Now, I looked at several commentaries in preparing for this week, and uh, there was disagreement about what the bugs actually were. Lice or gnats or chiggers or whatever. Uh, For us here in New Mexico, I imagine that they are no seams. Right? (laughs) Little bugs that irritate, inundate, 
and bite, right? When I find myself in those bugs, all I want to do is get away from them. Go back to the car, go back in the house, move to another state, whatever it is, you just want to get away from them. But for the folks in Egypt, that was not an option. They were everywhere, right? For this third plague, Pharaoh is not even warned or commanded to let the people go. God directs Aaron and Moses to strike the dust of the earth that it may become gnats. Aaron did, and gnats were everywhere. Have you been to Egypt before? Brian has. I don't know if he's here. There he is. There is dust everywhere. It's a country of dust. There were gnats on man and beast, and you could not get away from them. The magicians arrived, and they applied their secret arts. They did all they could. They were unable to create gnats from dust. There were no help reducing the gnats either, or removing them, or anything. Really, they're no help to Pharaoh at all. Their suggestion to Pharaoh was that the plague was the finger of God. I don't know if they were talking about the big G God, the Lord of the Hebrews, or little G God, one of their deities. I'm pretty sure they didn't become believers. So I assume they were suggesting some more powerful deity than themselves. It is interesting, though. During the first two plagues, Yahweh was discrediting Egyptian gods, right? The three Nile gods, uh, and then the fertility frog god with the frogs. This plague, however, this judgment, was directed at Pharaoh himself. He and the Egyptians considered Pharaoh to be a divine ruler, a god himself. As the divine ruler, his role, he was responsible to keep things in order, to keep things in balance, to keep chaos at a minimum. And when the Lord chose gnats, following the bloody Nile and the heaps of stinking frogs, order was out the window. Man and beast were terrorized. Pharaoh was unable to restore order. But the Lord of the universe can and will and did. And he showed Pharaoh to be a puny god. Can you imagine no sins that you can't get away from? How could you sleep? Right? You, you just lots of grumpy people. <laughs> and as the Lord said, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen. What happened to our seven characters during this short plague? Moses and Aaron obediently they were instruments of the miracle. Pharaoh, he continues to harden his heart and refuses to listen. He will not yield. The Egyptians, itching, scratching, irritated, grumpy. The Lord of the Hebrews is powerful over the mighty Nile and the tiny gnat. Israel, the Hebrews, 
They were affected by gnats the same, subject to judgment as are all other men. They have the mercy of the Lord to look forward to. They know that this will pass. The magicians, their offering during this judgment is to point to a power greater than theirs. And the Lord, what does Pharaoh and the Egyptians and Israel and us, what do we learn about him from this plague? He will use all things to accomplish his will. From the grandest river to the tiniest, most irritating bug, he uses a stuttering 80-year-old and a staff and magicians to make his point. He is the Lord over all things. He can direct, order, limit, empower, and allow all things as he sees fit according to his will and his purpose. He uses the plagues to be known and to be glorified. We also learn that all have earned judgment. Mankind has sinned against God and has earned judgment. Yahweh will save his people, and he invites all to be saved, but he knows that not all will come. Some, like Pharaoh, will harden their hearts and refuse to listen. Let's return to the command and the questions from earlier and see if there's any, any movement on those. The Lord's command to let my people go. Pharaoh agreed once to do it, but he reneged, so no progress. And since we've read the rest of the book, we know that'll be a while. Moses' question, how do I get anyone to listen to me? Well, he didn't convince Pharaoh to let the people go. But Moses was obedient to the Lord in each of these situations. Pharaoh didn't listen. But it's important to remember that sometimes it's, it's key to be obedient, to share the message, regardless of how it's received. So, progress. Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Pharaoh's learned a great deal about Yahweh, right? Lord of the Hebrews, he's more powerful than any of the Egyptian gods or all of them. He's merciful. He does what he says he'll do. He can use the mighty river and the tiny gnat. And the Lord of the Hebrews listens to prayer. Pharaoh has begun to learn who Yahweh is. So there is progress. For us, it's important to remember that the Lord uses his people in big and small ways. He uses us to plant seeds all the time, whether it's making a meal for a sick or a lonely person or offering a prayer for a stranger or offering words of wisdom from the Bible or offering a cup of coffee, a sweet treat, and a listening ear for a few minutes to a harried parent during VBS. Are there opportunities for God to utilize you that maybe you've been missing? Are there opportunities that you could take this week? Will you watch for those opportunities this week and see what the Lord has in store for you? 
The drama continues next week as we dig into the next judgments or plagues. Please join us for that. Will you stand with me and let's pray? Father God, we, Lord, we're just in awe of how you work. We're in awe of your power. We're in awe of the way that you have the authority to judge and yet have mercy. Lord, you had mercy on the Egyptians and the Hebrews, and you have mercy on us. Lord, I pray that you would draw us to you this week, that we would join you in your work, that if there are opportunities that we can be part of your will, Lord, that you would utilize us and that we would be open to those. Lord, I pray that this week we would honor you and that we would help people come to know you because that is the way to glorify you. You're a good God. You're a mighty Savior. And we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.